So before we jump in tonight, I just want to ask you all to right now and also later uh, give Simone a round of applause for all of her hard work here at the campus. <laughs> Simone, Simone is our, our campus director here at Crossbridge Brickell, and she has worked with a team of volunteers yesterday to clean out the closet and to throw away stuff that's been there for, seems like, decades and uh, also to organize and have vision to set this place up to make you feel welcome, that this can be a home for you. And so make sure to thank her and the other volunteers that I'm sure she'll tell you were working alongside of her the past few days. This campaign, Making Our House a Home, is intentional. You know, we don't want to be a place that's just a house. We want to be a place that is a home. And there's a difference between the two, at least for me. A house is like a place that you go occasionally. A home is a place that you own, where there's belonging. It's yours. There's investment there. And one of the words that we use all the time here is that this is a place where you can belong. We want you to find belonging here. I say something all the time, which is you can belong before you believe. And I mean that. But it's really important that we kind of flesh out what belonging means for us. Belonging does not mean that we want to simply provide a convenient and comfortable place for you to come. We want to do that. But we want you to belong in a significant way, in a true way, and that is by being on mission with us. We want you to feel comfortable. We want you to know that you're accepted and loved here. We want this to be a convenient place for you to come and to park and to drop your kids off and to worship. But we want you to join us on mission. We don't want you just to be a spectator. We want you to engage with us because true belonging comes when you engage with other people in community. And our tagline for our campaign this year is that we are a home on the move, that we believe with the rebranding, with what we believe God is calling us to next year, that God is bringing us forward. We are on the move in the city to bring physical, social, mental, emotional, spiritual renewal to this city. And we want to invite you to commit and join with us. That's what this pledge campaign is all about. So I want to ask you to do something before we jump into our passage tonight, and that is this. To look at your calendar and to plan to be here for the next three weeks, no matter what. Even if the weather is as nice as it is today, next week, be here. If you have to be out of town, then be online for our online service right at 5 p.m. sharp. Because I really believe in the next three weeks, God is going to do something special in this church. And you need to be a part of it. I really do believe that God is calling not just you in the room, but many more to join us in what he has given us as a vision for this part of the city that is so underserved with the gospel. So be here. It's going to be awesome. Each week is going to be an exciting uh, time together. So tonight, the title of the sermon is The House of God Dwelling in the Homes of People. And we're going to be in a very familiar passage for those of you that have been in the church before. But I think you're going to see a different layer and a different dimension of this passage, which is in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Also, it will be on the screen behind. And if you have the Crossbridge app, you can download that and you'll receive sermon notes as well as the text. You just type in Crossbridge Brickle in your app store. You can download that as well. So the passage is in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1 through verse 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Let me read it for us. It says this. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And was seeking, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this passage, if you've been in the church for a few years, if you've been in some Bible studies before, in the New Testament in particular, you may have heard this story about Zacchaeus. Maybe you've heard about this small man who climbs a tree to see Jesus. The story kind of goes like this with some of the details, and maybe you've heard some of these things before. So Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. This is right before Palm Sunday. This is right before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where they're waving the palm branches the week that Jesus will die. So he's heading to Jerusalem. He goes through Jericho. And as he's going through Jericho, Jericho, the crowd begins to form around him. Now, Jesus is very popular at this point. There are not just the disciples following him, but there's crowds of people that are around him wherever he goes. People want to hear what he has to say. He's claimed to be the son of God, the savior of the world. He's healed the sick and made the lame walk. So wherever he goes, there's a crowd. So this crowd begins to form in Jericho, and Jesus is passing through with his disciples. And we switch over to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is vertically challenged, and he cannot see over the crowd. The crowd also does not want to let Zacchaeus see Jesus because we're given some details about who he is. He is a chief tax collector. Now, it's important for you to understand what that means. There's a few implications with the title chief tax collector. One, we know Zacchaeus is Jewish. That is because the Romans who had colonized and conquered Israel, they they had a strategy where when they conquered an enemy land, they would employ people from that country to be their tax collectors. Essentially, here's what they would say. Be a traitor to your own people, collect taxes from your own people for Rome, and we will make you wealthy and powerful. So Zacchaeus is Jewish, and he's a chief tax collector. He's the big boss of all of the tax collectors. And he's wealthy because what happens with the tax collectors is that Rome tells them how much money they need to collect for Rome. And so they give them Roman soldiers to enforce the taxes. But Rome does not care if the tax collectors add a little extra tax on the top and they keep for themselves. So that's what they did. They had Roman soldiers. They had power and influence. And they would go around and exploit their own people and make themselves rich. Rome did not care as long as they got their taxes. So as you could tell, tax collectors were hated. They were social outcasts. They were traitors. And Zacchaeus, certainly as a chief tax collector, would have been despised. So Jesus is passing through. Zacchaeus is not tall. As I said, he's vertically challenged. And he cannot see through the crowd. 
The crowd is putting, pushing him out, and so he thinks, I have to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. Something is stirring in his heart to go see Jesus. So he runs ahead of the crowd, and knowing probably that when the crowd moves, they're going to push him out of the way again, so he climbs up a tree. He gets in a sycamore tree. He's looking for Jesus. And then there's a very interesting detail. It says that Jesus looks up and sees Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus is wanting to see Jesus, but Jesus is the one that sees him first. And he says, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to eat in your house. I'm going to come to your house. Zacchaeus stunned. The crowd stunned. Zacchaeus climbs down. It says that he hurries down. He climbs down. He receives Jesus joyfully into his home. And the crowd begins to grumble. They say, who is this that goes to eat with a sinner? A label they're placing on Zacchaeus, an evil, wicked person. Someone that... The son of God certainly would never spend time with. God would have no favor for a sinner like Zacchaeus, a traitor to his own people. And while inside of that house, Zacchaeus stands up. It says he stood and he said something. He says, anyone, or he says, I'm going to give half of all of my wealth to the poor. And anyone that I have defrauded, anyone that I have exploited, I will return back their money fourfold. Some incredible transformation has happened in this house as Zacchaeus has spent a meal with Jesus, as he received him joyfully. So much so that at one point when Zacchaeus had lived his life looking to exploit other people to make himself wealthy, now he's willing to impoverish himself. He's giving half of his money to the poor, and he's going to give fourfold back to anyone that he has taken from. When the Jewish law required only giving 20% back, he's saying, I'm going to give 400% back. He at one time was a greedy man, and now he's a generous man, exceedingly generous. Something incredible has happened to Zacchaeus, and then Jesus says this, both to Zacchaeus, the disciples around, probably all, the crowd grumbling outside, listening in. Today, salvation has come to hit this home. And then Jesus states his mission. He says, the mission that I have is to seek and to save the lost. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus and his home, evidenced by the generosity that he is willing to live out now, the drastic change in his life. And Jesus shares about his mission, which is to seek and to save the lost. You know, when you read this passage... Oftentimes what you see is, one, the life transformation in Zacchaeus makes him from a greedy man into a generous man. You see Jesus proclaim his mission, which is to seek and to save the lost. People like Zacchaeus, people labeled sinners. And you also see the crowd grumbling, not understanding the gospel, the good news that salvation is for everyone. People that label themselves pure and people that are labeled sinner, either by themselves or by the crowd, the culture. But I want to pause for a moment because if you spend time in this passage, you've probably developed some of those themes, and those themes are important to develop because they're obvious in the passage. But Scripture is layered. Scripture is like an eternal onion. You keep peeling layer and layer and layer and layer, and it never ends. And I want to peel back a few layers here for you to see 
the connection, a very interesting connection to this passage that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And I think God has a word for you. I know he did for me. I, this was such an exciting week for me. God gave me the, one of those aha moments when I was a youth pastor. I was uh, sharing about, this was a long time ago. I was sharing about some of the ways that scripture is layered in this student who had just come to faith, almost like a Zacchaeus. He said, it's like inception in the Bible. And I said, exactly. It's like inception in the Bible. As you see layers deeper and deeper and deeper. So here's what it says at the very beginning, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, he, Jesus, entered Jericho. Now let's peel that down a little bit. Because Jesus' name, this is his English name, but Jesus' name is Joshua. And his Hebrew name is Yeshua. This is not the first time that a Yeshua or a Joshua has entered Jericho. Very famously in the Old Testament, God's people who are wandering the wilderness are led into Jericho by a Joshua, by Yeshua. Here's what ha happens all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, the book of Exodus, and in the book of Joshua. We flash back and we read about how God rescued his people from captivity in Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea and he was bringing them through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, as they're preparing to go into the promised land, Moses is their leader. And Moses sends ahead spies into the land to scout it out before they go in. Now, God has promised them that he will protect them and he will deliver the land to them. But they send the spies out just to kind of get a lay of the land and a strategy down, and the spies come back, and here's what they say. They begin to grumble and say, listen, we have a problem here. There are giants in the land. We don't think we can take them. We don't, we don't, we don't know if this is going to work. We don't have the numbers. We don't have the, the fighting expertise. I mean, there's giants in the land. And because of their unbelief, because they doubt God's protection and his promises to them, they are forced to wander the wilderness for 40 years. They wander the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses does not have the privilege of leading his people, God's people, into the promised land. So Moses dies, and the successor to Moses is now brought forth, the one who will lead God's people now after 40 years of wandering in circles into the promised land, and his name is Yeshua, Joshua. And so he begins to move the people of God into the promised land, and they come to a city that is fortified and difficult to take. That city is Jericho. And they send in two spies this time to go into Jericho to scout it out. The two spies go in, but here's what happens. When they're in there, the people in Jericho and the leadership hears that there are spies in the city from Israel who was outside of the city. So they begin to look for the spies. Conveniently, these spies meet a prostitute, a temple prostitute named Rahab, who believes in God because she's heard the stories of what God has done for his people, Israel, by bringing them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. So she is now willing to risk her life to protect these spies in her house. She protects them. She hides them away. She helps them get out of the city. And she says something to those spies. She says, listen, remember me. Tell your leader, Joshua, Yeshua, of what I have done to protect you. And so when the people of God come to Jericho and they march around Jericho and the walls come tumbling down and they take over that city, Joshua makes a pronouncement on Rahab. 
and her household, that she will be delivered, that she will be saved, that today in Jericho, salvation has come to her house. There's a lot of really interesting connections between this story and the story of Zacchaeus. We have the promised land colonized by two separate countries, the Canaanites in the Old Testament who have taken the promised land, and here in Luke 19, we have Rome. We then also have a a grumbling crowd. In the Old Testament, the crowd that grumbles because there's giants in the land, and they disbelieve and distrust God's promises. They don't see clearly who God is and his deliverance made possible, even when there's an obstacle in the way. In the New Testament, we have the crowd grumbling, and they say, there's no way the Son of God could be with a sinner, an obstacle in the way of God's promises and his grace to someone like Zacchaeus. And then we have an unexpected character, an unexpected central main figure who we're actually to look to as a model. Rahab, who her act of courage is actually not only uh, dedicated in the book of Joshua, but also we read about Rahab in the genealogy of Christ. What an honor she receives for her courage. And then Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, who is saved and stands on generosity, both social outcasts in their culture and in their city. And then we have a pronouncement that is the same in both occasions. Salvation to their household. Rahab's house and Zacchaeus' house. Now here's the question. Why the connection? Why are these seemingly attached together? The reason that these are connected is for you to see the right person in each story. So jump back to Zacchaeus again. Zacchaeus' name means pure. So he's a pure tax collector. But that's not his label in the city, right? He's a sinful tax collector. He's an evil tax collector. But his name means pure. He's a pure tax collector. But he has not been living that way at all in his life. And this pure tax collector, who feels like an oxymoron, has two problems. The first problem is his height. He wants to see Jesus, but he cannot see Jesus because he's not tall enough to look over the crowd. And because he's not in the eyes of the crowd, he's not a pure tax collector. He's a sinful tax collector. They will not let him in. So he does something about it. He can address this problem. And so he does. He runs ahead. He climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus. He does whatever he can to attack that problem and solve it. But he has a second problem that he may not even know at the moment that he has, but is stirring within him so that he might go see Jesus. And that problem is attached to his label, that he's a sinner, that he's sinful. And there's nothing he can do about this label. The only thing that it leads him to is to want to see Jesus. You see, in the story of Zacchaeus, everyone sees something. Zacchaeus sees the issue of his height, and he wants to go see Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus as he looks up, and the crowd sees Zacchaeus as a sinner. The question swirling in the passage of Luke chapter 19 is, who has the right vision? Who has the correct sight? Because what the crowd sees as a hindrance for Zacchaeus, his sin, is actually what leads him to Jesus. 
And what Zacchaeus sees as an, a hindrance or a problem, his height, is actually the gateway for Jesus to see him. Whenever the crowd looks at the, the sin of Zacchaeus, they are missing that that sin is actually the very gateway for Jesus. And Zacchaeus, as he sees the problem in his own life, his height is actually the gateway for Jesus to look up and to call out his name. Here in this passage, in Luke chapter 19, there are seven verbs that are attached to Zacchaeus. He ran, he climbed, let me make sure I wrote them down. He ran, he climbed, he hurried, he came down, he received joyfully, he stood, and he said. Seven verbs attributed to Zacchaeus. There's only one verb attributed to the crowd, and that is, they grumbled. Just like the crowd in the Old Testament that grumbled at giants in the land, here the crowd is grumbling at an anti-giant, the exact opposite, a very small man, a short sinner. And see, the reason that this is here is because, and the connection between that Old Testament story with Rahab, the giants in the land, and Joshua, both of these Joshuas enter Jericho in both stories. But the focus for you to see is to learn something from the unexpected social outcast, from Rahab and also from Zacchaeus, and to not be like the crowd, to not grumble, to not distrust God's promises and his protection, to not misunderstand the good news of the gospel of grace. You see, Rahab had a problem too. She was a temple prostitute. And the problem that she faced was that she was an outcast in her own city, but she was also used in the service of other gods at the temple. She probably felt like there's no way that the God that I've heard about that is so powerful and so incredible would ever accept somebody like me. But something in her stirred her to want to risk her life to protect those spies. And so she did what she could to protect those spies and to get herself close to the very people who could tell her about who this God is. And what does she receive? Salvation proclaimed over her house. Zacchaeus has a problem, his height. He doesn't really fully understand his sin, but he runs on ahead because he wants to see Jesus. He knows that something is compelling him to see Jesus. He attacks the problem that he can attack, and he goes up and climbs the tree, and Jesus sees him. And salvation is declared over his house. Who has the correct sight? You see, both Rahab and Zacchaeus did not let their problems keep them from God. Neither one of them said, you know, I'm, I'm a temple prostitute. There's no way I could be loved and accepted by God. There's no way that God would ever come for a person like me. How convenient that the spies find the one person in Jericho who's willing to risk her life to save them. How convenient. She did not allow the problems that she saw in herself or the labels that she received to keep her from God, and neither did Zacchaeus. He risked embarrassment, climbing that tree and maybe being mocked just to catch a glimpse of Jesus passing by. But the crowd, all they saw were problems. They saw the giants in the land. They saw the sinful label over Zacchaeus, thinking themselves that they were pure and labeling Zacchaeus as separate. See, remember I told you the connection is that so you are not like the crowd and you are like Rahab and Zacchaeus, meaning 
You do not look for problems everywhere in yourself and in other people as obstacles for you to access God or to understand what God is doing in your life or in someone else's life. Well, that person could never, or I could never, or God would never. But you're like Rahab and Zacchaeus, attacking the problems that you can control, not mistrusting and not doubting God's ability to work a miracle in your life as he did in Rahab and Zacchaeus' life as well. You see, they also understood that they can't do anything about their chief problem. And that problem is sin, both for Rahab and for Zacchaeus. But Jesus can, and he did. Both with Rahab, who is listed in the genealogy of Christ, an ancestor of Jesus, who she is not a Jew, but yet she is counted in as she is grafted into the family. And then also Zacchaeus, whose salvation is declared over his house and stands on generosity. You see, Jesus states his mission at the very end of Luke chapter 19, and that is that he has come to seek and to save the lost. And that includes anyone that is not connected to Jesus, anyone that does not know God, anyone that has not received his grace, anyone that assumes some type of label and believes themselves to have some type of obstacle or problem that keeps them from God. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. I want to ask you a question. Who sought after Rahab? God did. As I said, how convenient those spies just found her in a massive city. Who sought after Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus, but who actually sought after him? It says Jesus looked up and called out to Zacchaeus. Who saved Rahab? She didn't save herself. It was Yeshua who pronounced salvation over her house in Jericho. Who saved Zacchaeus? He didn't save himself by his generosity. It was Yeshua, again, who pronounced salvation over his house. You see, Jesus, his name means God is salvation. Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, the name means God is salvation. See, what this story is leading you to see is that you have a problem in your life, probably many if you're like me. We all have things that we believe are obstacles that keep us from God, a label that we've received or we placed upon ourselves, a fear that we have, other people in our life, a vice that we struggle with. We all have problems in our life. And sometimes we allow those problems, we become like the crowd, we begin to grumble. I don't know. We begin to think, I don't know if God would ever accept somebody like me. Maybe God's not answering my prayer because of this. Maybe God's not blessing me in that way because of that. We begin to mistrust God's promises, his protection, his grace because of the problem in our life. Or we look at other people's problems and point them out. Try to make ourselves feel better about our problems. But see, like Zacchaeus and Rahab, we're called to stand in and address the problems that we can control. Those things that should not be hindrances, but we should use them as a gateway to go back to Jesus. Where we find that the chief problem that you have and that I have, that we cannot solve ourselves, which is our sin, has already been dealt with on the cross. That Jesus, who is salvation, 
God is salvation, has already given his life for you. He has already paid the ultimate penalty on the cross for you. He has taken away your sin and your shame and every label you've ever received and every vice you struggle with and every obstacle you see in your life, he's already paid for it. He's been buried and he's risen from the dead. And when you address the problems in your life that keep you from Jesus or the things that you see in other people that you don't give into, but you say that's not a problem to see, but that's actually something to address, you'll find that it's a gateway leading you to God who is salvation, Jesus Christ himself, who will pour out his grace and his love and who, who declares salvation over you and your home. You see, that is the God that we serve that is the God that we are called to worship, who we are called to commit and give our time to. And his mission is to seek and to save the lost. That may include you now. That may have included you 10 years ago. That may include that coworker or that friend or that neighbor or that family member that you see. Oh, there's so many problems. I don't know if Jesus is really up to seek and save them. No, he is. All people, don't be like the crowd like Rahab and Zacchaeus. Address the problem and use it as a gateway to see Jesus who solves the real problem, which is your sin. You see, this has been taking place in the life of this church. Jesus has been on a mission through Crossbridge to seek and save lost people. We've just been able to enjoy the privilege of seeing God work. And he's worked through many of you. As we've seen many, many people this year come to faith in Christ and be baptized. And I want to share with you a video of a story of a man named Pierre D'Agostino has become a friend. He attends our Key Biscayne campus. And you get to hear about what God has done in his life this year. And you're a part of it because we are a family of churches and we share resources, we share people, we share vision, we share values. So I want you to hear about what God is doing as Jesus is on this mission to seek and to save the lost. Check this out. Well, my name is Pierre D'Agostini, and usually I say it's a great name to sell cheese because one of my business is selling dairy. So I start, I say, you know, I have the background. Along the years, my, uh, my wife is a uh, family is a pastor, so I go to the church, but it didn't really, it didn't really work, you know, it, it, I didn't, it's, it's in me, I take full responsibility, but I didn't have that. But I said to her, look, if you find me a church that is close by, I have to admit, I say, you find a church that's close by, okay, with content, I say, I want a church with content. And all of a sudden she said to me, I think I found it. I said, oh, really? She says, yes, it's the Presbyterian Church in Key Biscayne, Crossbridge. And she said to me, and I cannot tell me it's far because it's a few minutes away. I said, oh, okay, I go. I told you I go, I go. I went there and um, it was really amazing. It has been amazing. So when my son was born, I think I discovered a lot of things. One of them is he had to stay in the hospital for three months. That was difficult. That was really, really difficult. When your son is only two pounds, there is a lot of medical issues. And the doctors, they are, and we appreciate that, they talk to you straight and they tell you the truth. 
And one of the truth is that maybe your son is not going to make it. So it's very difficult in those three months, every month is a battle. And now when we see our son doing so, so well, incredibly well, we, we just cannot be more thankful for everything, but we are also persuaded there was the hand of God behind. He, he, he cannot be, he's just too different. Almost like he has seen something that we have not seen. That's why when he says, I want to get baptized, I say, he has seen God. I should follow his path. There is a true, deep, profound message. It's something that is not the same. So I say to my wife, who uh, has been a de devoted uh, uh, Christian for decades, I say, what do you think is happening? And she says, well, God and Jesus are talking to you. That's what she told me. That's a terrific answer. I say, maybe you're right. Our goal, our mission is to share because I see the way it has impacted my life. The only way I can see making any sense of all of this is to share. Amazing. And there's many more stories like that. I'm sure if we took time with some of you that have come to faith in Christ and this year, the past several years, maybe decades ago, you could share a similar story of God revealing himself to you, that you were lost and he sought after you and he saved you and declared salvation over your house, over your life. I love what he says at the very end. He says, the only thing that makes sense is to share. The only thing that makes sense is to share. Our mission is to share. There's a very peculiar detail in Luke chapter 19 that I didn't tell you about. And maybe you thought, why didn't he say anything about the sycamore tree? Because that's an interesting detail to add. Why not just Zacchaeus climbed a tree? Why tell us what the tree is? Well, in the book of Amos who was a prophet, we read something interesting, connected. Amos was a prophet who was a very unlikely prophet, and he is explaining that in Amos chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore, fig, sycamore figs. He's like, I wasn't a prophet. I wasn't born and raised a prophet. I was not from a prophet's family. I was a farmer. I took care of cattle, and I took care of sycamore trees. And the, the figs that they produced. But then he says this, verse 15. 
But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. You see, Amos was a farmer turned prophet. His label in life was farmer. You're just going to tend to the sheep and to the cattle. You're going to take care of the sycamore trees. And yet God called him, declared salvation over his home, and changed the direction of his life to be a prophet. What happens with Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector labeled a sinner. Well, God declares salvation over his house. And he actually becomes now the embodiment of his name, pure tax collector. And something else happens in him. He becomes a prophetic witness. As we are sitting here 2,000 years later reading his words of what Jesus has done in his life, of the good news of the gospel that changed him to be a person that's going to stand on generosity, giving away half of his wealth and returning fourfold anyone that he's defrauded. He was a tax collector turned prophet, one who climbed a sycamore fig, sycamore tree, and Jesus saw him. You see, it says in the passage that Zacchaeus, he ran and he climbed. He did what he could to address the issue, the problem that he had, which is height. And when he was up in that tree, Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to dine with you. And then what Zacchaeus does is what happens with all of us when we come to encounter Jesus we hurry up, we climb down, and we go, and it says we re he received Jesus joyfully, just like you do. When Jesus calls your name, when he calls to dine with you and to be in the home of your heart, you will receive him joyfully. And just after that takes place, when God changes your life, as we saw God change Pierre's life and his son's life and so many others, something should happen to you. You should stand and you should say, as Zacchaeus stood and he said, and what are you to stand on? A life of generosity. You see, when you come to meet Jesus who gave his life for you, you cannot imagine holding things back from God. Like, God, thank you for giving your life for me, but these things are mine. You can't use them. It's impossible to imagine that and to live that way when you've received Jesus joyfully. No, you stand on generosity. Maybe you don't have to give away half of your goods to the poor and return fourfold anyone that you've defrauded, but you're to stand on generosity, and God lets you know exactly what that is. What amount of time are you to give back to God? What amount of talent are you to give back to God? And what amount of treasure are you to give back to God? Because it's the only logical next step when you've received Jesus is to stand on generosity. And then lastly is to say something is to declare. It's not enough for Zacchaeus just to think it and then go do it. He must share it. He is sharing with Jesus, with the crowd, the disciples, and everyone else as he's sharing with us as a prophetic voice what Jesus has done in his life, what salvation has done. And you as well are called to be a prophetic voice in the wilderness of this city. You are called to share what Jesus has done in your life with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family members. You may say, I'm an unlikely person. That's okay. That's who God uses. Rahab's and Zacchaeus's. You feel like them? Great. You're in really good company because God uses the unlikely person and he will use you. He will make you a Zacchaeus, pure 
as you come to receive him. And he will use you as you stand on generosity, as you share the good news of the gospel in the wilderness of this city. Because it needs to be shared. Jesus is on a mission. He's using you. He's using me. He's using this church to seek and to save the lost.